All right. Uh, this is Corinthians 4, 7 through 16. Um, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you, had re- you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have become your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Adam. Hey, guys. My name's Adam, as you might have heard. Um, I work here. Um, yeah, it's definitely autumn this week, isn't it? My gosh. Um, I know, right? Like, I like it when it's like half this dreary. When it goes full dreary, I don't know about that. Um, so, uh, real quick, unscientific poll. Um, show of hands, who has, who owns a scum t-shirt, scum hoodie, scum patch that you regularly wear or have on something you bring with you, scum sticker, any of that? Hands up. Couple few. All right. Um, if you if you want one, there, that's good. Um, I'm uh, I'm wearing my scum T-shirt today, under my scum staff hoodie, and drove here in my car with the scum sticker on the window. I am so accessorized for church. Um, I actually do really like that sticker in particular. I did this super artistic thing to it that uh, made it like bleach out to black and white and crack like the ground of the desert. Um, and one time, Gilbert Lopez back at the scoop, um, he asked me, Adam, how did you do that? That looks really cool. And I said, all right, so step one is you put a sticker on your car window. And step two is you drive for nine years. <laughs> so it's really very easy um, if you're patient. We are really fond of our name here, aren't we? Um, I know I am, honestly. It's, it's done a lot of work for us. Um, this church has an easier time starting conversations about Jesus um, using the weirdly named church that we attend and the name we are wearing at the time in order to get those conversations going. That brings people into the kingdom. That makes Jesus happy. Therefore, I am happy about that. Um, my relationship to the name Scum of the Earth has evolved a lot over the years. Um, if you, I was thinking about it, if you like tally from the moment that I first heard that name uttered um, and you measured at regular increments, well, not regular, what you would get is this. Zero minutes, scum of the earth, you are making that up. Um, four days, this place is awesome. Three weeks, no, no grandma, really, it's, it's a legit church. They, I know they have a funny name. 
Um, but really, they believe the Bible. It's, it's a church. Two years or so. I am so proud to be part of a church that is real and authentic and not afraid to get messy because Jesus isn't afraid to get messy, and that's how the world is. And then there's the nearly 10-year mark, which is where I'm at now. Um, This January, it'll be 10 years that I've been part of this community, not working here the whole time, but just been here. Um, And I still love the place, and I'm still really proud of this part of God's family in a lot of specific ways. Um, But there's a new response that I had recently to our name, which was, wait a second, this, this name, Scum of the Earth, that we love oh so much. What does it really mean? If you've been around for any length of time, you know that scum of the earth is a phrase from, well, actually, if you've been around for five minutes, because Steve just read that passage. If you've been around for a minimum of three or so minutes, um, you know the the phrase scum of the earth comes from the Bible, comes from 1 Corinthians 4.13. It's been preached on more than a few times here. Um, So why do that again? Why another scum sermon? Uh, Because I'm a big picture guy, uh, and I think the big picture on this one is valuable. And normally when we preach on the scum passage, uh, normally it's, you know, like three verses or maybe up to a chapter, uh, which is kind of just the nature of preaching. You know, you pick a smaller portion of Scripture to narrow in on, and then you narrow. So this month, as I was studying um, the, uh, the two letters to the Corinthians that we still have, First and Second Corinthians, um, I got curious, uh, which is sort of an occupational hazard of being me, and was curious about what the phrase, we have become the scum of the earth, actually means. What it meant originally. Uh, because as you may be well aware, we humans have a tendency to look at things that have a specific meaning and look at them like an ink blot, where we say, wow, you know, to me, this really means, and sort of ignore the fact that maybe there's an original meaning. Um, we project our t- ourselves onto biblical text, and we do this all the time, um, which is why there are some rather opinionated books out there about how Jesus was a capitalist uh, and a socialist and a Republican and a Democrat and a hippie and a revolutionary, uh, depending on who you ask, depending on who is projecting themselves onto the text rather than letting the text speak for itself, letting the Word of God be heard as it is. But the Word of God, it's like all words that we exchange. It's an act of communication where the speaker or writer has a specific thing they're trying to get through to us, to the reader or the hearer. And I want to know what that is. I don't want to make God or Scripture in my own image. And I don't, Well, I was about to say, I don't know about you guys, but I, I do know about you guys. As many of you as I know, even a little bit, I know that's not a thing you're about. Like, we, we care about the truth here. At any cost, we, we want life abundant. We want life undiluted. We want to know God as he is and to know us as we are in Christ. So let's pray and then start digging because there is gold buried in the scripture like there's gold buried in all scripture. Um, join me for a minute. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being within us, um, for your word that you have for us um, in scripture and hopefully what comes out of my mouth. Um, Lord, I pray that you um, you whittle away anything that I plan to say uh, if it's not good to say right now, and anything that I did not plan to say that you want to throw in there, please do. Um, we love you. We want to be like you. We want to know you. Um, amen. So, uh, 
Steve just read 1 Corinthians 4, to, uh, 4 7 to 16, the scum passage, uh, bookended by a little extra content, more than we usually get before the sermon. Um, and those bookends on Paul's eruption of sarcasm are important, so I'm going to read those again. But first, did you know this passage is sarcastic? Like, do you know how sarcastic this passage is? Um, Meg pointed this out when she was giving me some feedback on a rough draft of the sermon. She said, Adam, you might want to unpack that a little bit because I don't know if everyone knows how incredibly sarcastic Paul gets sometimes. Um, And Meg is smart, so I'm going to do that. Um, Susan Isaacs, uh, if if you've been around a long time, you might remember when she came and spoke here. Uh, She wrote a book called Angry Conversations with God. Good book. Good audio book, too. She reads it. And in there, she has a fictionalized version of God speaking the line, sarcasm is a viable form of communication. And after studying 1 and 2 Corinthians, I believe it. Um, The letters to Corinth are the snarkiest, most sarcastic parts of the Bible, especially 2 Corinthians. And that doesn't mean it's not communicating truth. Um, We've been sort of conditioned in the church to believe that all of Scripture is read in the same tone because it was written in the same tone. Not, Not quite. Leonor was not taught that, apparently. She's laughing. She knows. Um, yeah, it's God communicating truth partially through that sarcasm. Um, just look at verse 8 in our passage tonight. Already you've begun to reign. Ooh. And in case there was any doubt whatsoever that Paul was being sarcastic, he immediately follows it with, how I wish you actually had begun to reign, like I just said sarcastically. So if that was true, I mean, at least we could reign with you. Craig talked last week about uh, Paul's sarcasm in front of the Sanhedrin, where, oh, he, oh, that's, that's the high priest? Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, you did. Um, remember that? So here he goes again in fine form in verse 10, where he says, Oh, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but oh, look at you. You're so strong. You're honored. You've got it together, huh? I want to be like you when I grow up. Um, So before we move on, let's be clear uh, about this. Paul is being insanely sarcastic here, and he's doing it because of the sort of calm, measured, straight-talk approach that he uses with, I don't know, like the the Philippians or somebody, isn't working here. (laughs) Because the people at, you know, Philippi or Ephesus, they weren't quite so puffed up with their pride, and so he didn't have to speak this way. But here he does, so he does. Uh, With that understanding of the context, let's check out those bookends that I mentioned. Verse 7, he says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Paul asks the Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian Christians, What and who makes you different? And they are different in some ways, and that's really good in those ways. Then for six verses that we just read some excerpts from, uh, he talks about another kind of difference, the difference between the Corinthian Christians and him and the other apostles, other Christians. And you can tell by the blistering sarcasm in his voice that he is not impressed by that kind of difference. It is not a good thing. Um, Then uh, at the end of that, uh, after the sarcasm bomb stopped falling, we go to verse 14. He says, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, because even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. First, he points out two kinds of difference 
and then he urges becoming the same as he is in Christ. He'll do this again later in chapter 11, verse 1, I think, uh, where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So the question that caught my curiosity this month uh, was, in the phrase, we have become the scum of the earth, who is we? Have you ever thought about that? We at Scum Denver, we insert ourselves into this passage. We assume that we refers to us now, and when we do that, we are identifying ourselves with whoever we was in this original act of communication. So I did some research on this, um, including asking Craig over there who wrote the first Corinthians commentary. Um, And what I kept finding was we is Paul and the other apostles. That's who we've been identifying ourselves with for 17 and a half years here. And just like when we take the name Christians onto ourselves and are committing to being like Christ in everything that he said, when we take the name scum of the earth onto ourselves, we're making a claim to be like Paul and company, the original scum of the earth, the guy who came up with the term. The ones without whom that phrase doesn't actually have any meaning. But the ones with whom, that phrase has great meaning, meaning 2,000 years strong. Meaning grounded in being like Paul, who is being like Christ. So here's where those bookends start to get important. Paul asks the Corinthian Christians who and what is the source of their good difference, their progress toward being in Christ, that favorite term of Paul's. Then he rips them apart concerning their bad difference, uh, their stupid and pompous pride in having it all together according to the value system of the world and of Corinth in particular, that part of the Roman Empire. And then he urges them after these differences to be similar to Paul, not only, er, but only, because that'll help them to be similar to Christ. Good difference from the world, bad difference from other Christians, moving toward unity with Christ. This is the teaching that's beneath the name that we have worn on our hearts, our lips, our hoodies, and our car windows for the past 17 and a half years. We've chosen to identify ourselves with Paul and his fellow apostles to be about what they are about. So what are they about? Last time I was up here, I talked about what some have called the key to Paul's theology, uh, this concept of being in Christ. Um, Quick recap, uh, or if you weren't here, um, it means being united with Christ. It means being part of him in a more than metaphorical way because he's part of you now that you've invited him in, if that's something you've done. It's giving control over your own life and identity and values and at the dreadful, dreadful risk of invoking a pop country song, letting him take the wheel more and more each day. Bad song, really good idea. And when we do that, Jesus fills up this empty space in us. Gradually, he displaces our anxiety and our hopelessness and our sin, these sometimes unnoticed but awful ways that we neglect him and mistreat our fellow human beings every day. He cleanses us. He pushes that sin out, and he replaces it with beauty and with joy. I started looking for other patterns in Paul's writing, and I found another thing that he talks about all the time. It's a word that we've been culturally conditioned to not like. A word that 
despite everything we see in the Bible. We associate with shallow behavior modification and inventing human rules as fast as the worst of the Pharisees. It's a word that's been twisted from its original meaning through phrases like holier than thou, and yet a word that has the power to free us from our chains and from the chains that this world puts on us. That's right. Holiness. Go ahead. Let the, let the cultural conditioning just send shivers through you. Get it out of the way. Be as uncomfortable and triggered as you need to right now. Um, makes me a little bit uncomfortable, too. I wish that wasn't true. But I've been influenced by the culture as much as you guys. Um, and I know some of you are hearing this, and you're like, Adam, what are you even talking about right now? Like, that, that doesn't make me uncomfortable at all. What are you... And if that's you, great. <laughs> I am legitimately happy to hear that. You have been spared um, from something we weren't. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that the word holiness carries an awful lot of baggage for a lot of my generation. Postmodernism has not been kind to that word's reputation. It's suffered a pretty savage smear campaign by good-natured people, like me, who didn't even know that by never using that word, except in phrases like, holy crap, or holier than thou, um, we were robbing of, of its original meaning and perp- uh, perpetrating a false belief, perpetuating false belief, that holiness equals moral smugness, arrogance, condescension, and the dreaded charge of being a Pharisee, which Craig last week did a pretty good job debunking since there were actually some pretty good Pharisees. One of them was named Paul, and he wrote half the books in your New Testament, and this church is named for him. Paul, the preacher of holiness, the original scum of the earth, the reason for our name. If I'm going to claim that Paul is super focused on holiness, I better give you some proof. So let's look at it. Um, Let's examine for now, just for the sake of brevity, because there's a lot of references here, just the introduction to his letters, which I noticed an interesting pattern in. I have this up on the screen. There we go. Chapter 1 of Romans, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus of Philippi. Chapter 1 of Colossians, to God's holy people in Colossae. Chapter 1 of First, uh, Second Timothy, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Whew. Even now, just for now, just looking at the intros of the letters where he sets up the rest of them. Paul just can't shut up about this. Called to be holy, called to be holy. It's the chorus that makes the whole song. So what's it mean? Um, Because, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible and I see the same specific Christian words over and over again, my eyes just glaze over like a Krispy Kreme and I don't even hear the meaning of those words. Uh, By the way, think of that and try and enjoy donuts. Sorry. Um... (laughs) So I don't know if that's something you experience, but if so, I'm with you. Um, But the general definition of holiness, I think, is this. Holiness is being set apart by God. It's being made different through our union with God. And it's being made different in ways that specifically bring glory to God. 
the difference that we're talking about is the difference between us and the world, which is the term in the Bible for everyone. Pagans. Don't cut your beard or wear clothing made of two kinds of fabric. Um, some of this don'ting um, seems really arbitrary to me, but God's the arbiter. He gets to say these things. And whether the separation was moral or more external, like the no cotton polyester blend law, um, it served the purpose of creating difference that directed people's focus to God. Difference, holiness, set apartness. Under the New Covenant, um, this looks pretty different. We're still called to not link ourselves closely to anything evil or anyone who's following something other than the way of Jesus. You can read 2 Corinthians 6 for more of that. But the emphasis is different now. You've heard me say it before. You will hear me say it again. Christianity is not a religion of don't. Christianity is a religion of do. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still plenty that we're commanded to not do or not or to, to keep away from, and let's not forget that. But the emphasis now is on doing, not don't being. Instead of just, for example, resisting the enemies of God and our own personal enemies and then limiting our retaliation against them, we're told to proactively love them, to do good to them. Instead of avoiding contact with those who do evil, avoiding the darkness, we bring the light of Christ in us into that darkness to transform it. Sin used to be contagious, and lest we forget, if we're not sticking real close to Jesus, it still is. But now, to whatever extent we are in Christ, and vice versa, our holiness is contagious. We can, if you'll pardon a weird use of the term, we can infect the world with goodness instead of being infected by evil. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And salt and light change things because they are different. But if salt loses its saltiness, he says, meaning if it gets diluted and watered down by the stuff it's supposed to be different from, it is no longer good for anything. Difference is the reason that we exist. Difference that glorifies God and incarnates the kingdom is the very meaning of our lives. That's why Paul asks verse 7 of our main passage tonight, who makes you different from anyone else? Because just as in the Old Testament, some of their differences were designed to bring attention to God, I think that's what that question is designed to do. Who makes you different? It's to take the Corinthians' focus off themselves and how great they think they are, and to put their focus in God, who through Christ has made them different, set apart, holy. They need that reminder. As verses 8 through 13, the snarky middle section makes clear, the Corinthian Christians loved being different, but in the wrong ways. They were really proud of belonging to one sect of the body of Christ. Oh, you follow Apollo? So oh, that's cute. I follow Peter, you know, the real apostle, the badass. Um, it was all one-upmanship. They were proud of being different from fellow Christians. And Paul, rightfully, lays into them for that. That's not something to be proud of. Because in John 17, the last chance Jesus had to pray with his disciples before he was murdered by the state, he prayed this. I pray also for those who will believe in me through them, uh, my apostles' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. 
we are called by Jesus to be different from the world as a united group called the body of Christ. Paul tells him in chapter 3, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? And what is Jesse or Mike or Adam? And what is scum of the earth church? And then he answers, only servants through whom you came to believe. For we are all co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. You, me, and every Christian you know, we have one job. It's not promoting this community or giving out stickers or loving our scumminess unless that stuff is in service to our only job, and that job is being like Jesus. Being rooted in him, being in Christ, united in every way one can be united with him. Taking on more of the family resemblance of our Father in heaven who makes us different, not from other Christians, but from the world that does not know how to live in ways that bring God glory and us joy. Everything a Christian is called to do can be summed up in one job, and it's the same job of the original scum of the earth, Paul of Tarsus. We have one job, and it's to be holy. This is the message of the entire Bible. Why did the Jews obey the Torah? To be set apart in the way as God desires. Why did the prophets speak out against those of Israel who compromised with their surrounding culture and mixed in the customs and habits and norms of the world so that they would be different the way God desires? Why did Peter, an apostle who is mentioned by name in 1 Corinthians and part of the original scum of the earth, why did he write this to the tribe called Christians? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as people who are different from their surrounding culture, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. There's the don't and here's the do. Live such good lives among the pagans, the non-Christians, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If you and I are Christians, then we are a chosen people, a holy, set-apart nation. And we've been chosen to be different via our resemblance to Christ instead of the culture around us, so that our very lives are a hymn of praise to our Father. And our Father is the one that I, I love enough to do that, the one I'm grateful enough to for saving me from a life of sin and futility that I would have had without him, for giving me purpose and identity and family, and the one job that we all have. He's the one that I want to make proud through being radically different from the culture around me and radically similar to him. And I want that family resemblance to be strong. This is what Paul meant when he wrote the passage from which this church gets its name, when in verse 10 he wrote, We are fools for Christ. He was stating his willingness to lose by the rules of the world. 
how you get ahead, how you become cool or popular or well thought of, in order to win according to the rules of God. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. People don't do that. That's weird. And there is no motivation strong enough to get people to consistently do that other than the grateful love that we have for our Savior and a desire to be holy, to be like him, to lift his name up with our lives in every way we can, at every opportunity we get, and with every breath we have left. Perhaps you've noticed a gap in the sermon. Because there's been a lot of what, but not a lot of how. How do we be holy as God is holy? How does one become more holy? Um, So there's good news and bad news in that, and they're both this. We can't. It's kind of like how we can't actually give ourselves a tan. The sun can Now, one quick look at me will tell you that I don't have a lot of firsthand experience in this, uh, but trust me, I'm reasonably sure you can't just sit in your living room with the blinds drawn and will yourself into being tan, Um, as hilarious as it would be to watch somebody try. Just sitting there like, all right, think tan thoughts, visualize tan. I'm visualizing tan right now. Nope, still liquid paper white. Doesn't work so well. Um, If you want, for some crazy reason, to be tan... (laughs) You have to expose yourself to something that causes that change in you. And holiness is no different, uh, except that it won't give you skin cancer. Uh, If we want to obey God when he says, be holy as I am holy, we have to get exposure to God, the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called that. Only he can do that for us. Only he can make us more holy, more set apart, more different from the world, more like Christ. Our job is to expose, get exposure to him, to be near him, to let that soak in. Now, a lot of you are already about this. Um, I don't have to convince you of anything. You already know how good this is. Um, If that's not you, uh, let me sell you on this a little bit more. Believe it or not, you want this. You may not know that you want this, but you want what it gets you. And I know this because everybody does at a deep level. We want the same things. We want to be fully integrated human beings that are clear of contradictions. We want union with another who is strong and beautiful and makes our hearts whole. We want to belong at the deepest level. We want mission and purpose. We want to be fully alive. And I promise you, if I know anything at all, I know that that is what increasing holiness, increasing similarity to Christ gets you. Health, wealth, and material prosperity, I cannot promise because neither did Jesus, but I can promise you that stuff. It's not just a basket full of don'ts. It's not just another set of checkboxes to fill or fail at filling. It's not about smugness or being better than anybody because if you believe what God says, then you know. (laughs) The more you get like him, the more you realize that everything good in me is because he's there. Increasing actual holiness, not talking about this holier-than-now thing. The real thing makes you less puffed up about yourself and more jazzed on who God is. 
if I've won you over or if I didn't need to, um, I guess the next logical question is, what's next? You know, how do you take the next step in this? And, I mean, how would you increase your exposure to any human being that you wanted to be like? You would hang out with them. You would spend time with them, clear of distractions. You would listen to what they say and what they write. You would hang out with the people that they hang out with. And with God, that translates to the basics of the basics. Scripture, prayer, worship, good conversation with other Christians about this sort of thing. We do a really good, time, a really good job here of spending time together. Um, some of it's intentional and God-focused, and some of it's just hanging out together, laughing and enjoying each other's company. And they're both good. But each time you're ready for the next step of going deeper in becoming like Christ, it's the intentional piece that does the work we're talking about here. As we read in Colossians 4, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, seasoned with the difference Christ has put in us by taking up residence there. Sometimes, uh, and again, speaking from personal experience here too, we can fall into the trap of being like the Corinthians, being impressed only by the new and the shiny, the unusual, the stuff we haven't heard before. Bored with the basics. But they and I and every Christian need to be reminded of the basics from time to time because of that cultural tendency to devalue what's most foundational for us. Going to the gym is not that exciting, at least for me. If it is for you, great. Um, but it's what you do if you want to get stronger. Um, farming for experience points can be boring, but if you want to level up, it's what you got to do. Where are my nerds at? All right. um, and honestly, those are kind of crappy metaphors because it makes scripture and prayer and conversations about God sound boring, and that is the farthest thing from my experience. Uh, now, that stuff did used to be boring to me, truly, and I will admit this. But the more I did it, the deeper I went, the more I let the Holy Spirit transform me, the more exciting it became. And I've got a long way to go in terms of being like Christ. But even at this half-immature point, I love this stuff now. Like It brings me joy at a level that other stuff just can't touch. Go figure, right? It's the stuff we were made for. God has taught me to want to be more holy, to be Christ-like, and to be severed from the norms of this very, very confused world. And instead to be rooted in only him. And I believe that every one of you either wants that or wants what that gets you. Uh, next week, we'll be back in the book of Acts, and we'll get to see this in action, how Paul, the original scum of the earth, demonstrates concretely the power of a holy life in one of the places you'd least expect holiness to count, that being a courtroom full of corrupt politicians and lawyers who will do anything to win. Um, this abstract concept will get a little more specific next week. Stay tuned. What I want to communicate this week, though, is just the concept, because that's hard enough for us, you know. What's at stake here is a definition of what it means to be scummy. Being the scum of the earth, being really scummy, can be either a good or a bad thing. And it's a real bad thing if it's about taking pride in our difference from other Christians, saying, oh, we're the cool Christians, we're the real followers of Jesus. We're not afraid to do what they're afraid of. All things are permissible to me. But it can be a real good thing 
if it's about rejoicing in the fact that Jesus keeps drawing near to us, keeps inviting us into being like him, and we keep saying yes. Let me say of the sermon what Paul said of his letter. I say this not to shame you, but to warn you as part of this family, because we are sinful human beings living in an incredibly narcissistic culture. And so if we don't course correct periodically, intentionally choosing into Christ likeness, we will choose into self-focus just by default. It's going to happen. That's not about you guys. That's about being humans at this, alive at this point in history. Probably most times in history, but especially this one. It's been true for Christians living in fight-for-your-rights cultures like ours for thousands of years, um, whether that's America or Western Europe or the Roman Empire and its colony that we call Corinth. And like I say, I say this not to shame you, for in doing so, I would be shaming myself for the ways that I've bought into the Corinthian way of following Jesus. And may the Lord forgive me for the ways I've made being a Christian generally and being at the scum of the earth specifically an opportunity for pride that gets me farther from him instead of closer. We're going to take communion in a couple of minutes, and during that, um, there will be people down in the prayer cave, that's what we call that little box over there, um, where you can go and have people pray with you, if you'd like. Um, And both of those are opportunities to renew your commitment to Christ, or to step toward him in faith for the first time. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, Paul tells us, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Not just as a historical fact. Yeah, there was a guy named Jesus, and he was crucified by Rome. We proclaim the Lord's death in that we proclaim that the one who died is our Lord, our Savior, our King, who we get to obey in creative and purposeful ways as we become like him and unlike the world. Therefore, I urge you, I, along with God's apostle and our namesake, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is who we are united with Christ and his apostles, inwardly being renewed day by day, soaking up the Spirit's presence until people have to squint really hard to tell us and Jesus apart. May it be said forever of this community, God has made them different from the way the world without God lives. May it be said, Jesus has made them united with himself and the rest of his body, the church. In the most authentic sense, they have become the scum of the earth. Thanks.